0: Ready to be together? And um, as, as Clive had said, we're carrying on in this brilliant series that we have been in for a number of weeks already. It feels like God keeps on speaking to us from this book. If you haven't been with us um, for a while or you've never been here, we are taking a journey through a book in the Old Testament called Nehemiah. And the Nehemiah story is primarily for many people a story about the rebuilding of a wall and uh, how a city that's called Jerusalem had walls that were broken down and that left them open to enemy attack and, and, and just, you know, they were exposed and they realized that, hey, something needs to happen. And God spoke to a man called Nehemiah and he moved about 1,800 kilometers to come and help repair this place. And in repairing the wall, they realized that there was actually more to be done. And so, um, we're going to carry on with that this morning, and just talk about what God wants to encourage us about. I want to use that microphone over there, please. Um, the first slide. Our, our topic this morning is is breaking the from the past, and uh, I'm going to just do a simple illustration for you to show you where the people were at one stage, and where after a couple of weeks where they. Happen to find themselves then again. So, the first slide, I'm going to ask you, Vic, would you mind just getting up here and reading the verse that will appear on the slide there? It's going to be two slides, two screens. So, just read that for us. So, just take notice of this. This is chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. Thanks, Vic. Okay. Um, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel your servants confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned we have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded, your servant Moses brilliant, thank you summary is, they were in a bad state you saw that? uh huh It's not a great place to be in. Now we find ourselves a couple of chapters later in the book of Nehemiah. And I'm going to ask, Sean, would you mind? Would you read for us just what is coming up now? Just that one verse. And they have offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Wow! See, a bit different. Did you see that? I hope you did. <laughs> we can repeat that again. I mean, Victor could just say it out again from his memory, and children could do the same. Point is, chapter one: people are in great distress. That's what was on the heart of why he realized that the people of Jerusalem were not in a great place. Not only was the wall broken down, but something in their lives was broken down. You saw that? His cry to God was. That is his prayer that Victor read so well. Okay? Then we find ourselves where Saul was. And you see, I mean the joy in Jerusalem is like, whoa, the people in Gwanda heard about it. so I like kind of Everybody around heard that there was something that had changed in Jerusalem. From the state where they were in great distress, suddenly, not suddenly actually, a couple of weeks later, they find themselves here. question is, where do you want to be? This morning, I mean, sorry to you guys over there, maybe we can just label you as Nehemiah 1. You guys want to be Nehemiah 12? Would your joy be heard far away? Can we just shout and see if people in, you know, wherever in Kulamani could hear you? You'll have to shout quite loud. Now the point is this. We, we need to understand that there was a process that people went through from here to get to Nehemiah 12. And it didn't just happen overnight. Last week we started touching on this point that, that God wanted to continue working in their lives. That the broken down wall when it was repaired was not it. Say with me, it. It. That was not it. There was more work to be done. And so God carried on with a work. And this morning we want to see how breaking from the past enabled people to get from this state that they were in to where we find in Nehemiah they were just rejoicing. The women, the men, the children were rejoicing with great joy. And by the way, Whatever we find in the Old Testament points towards the New Testament, and it also encourages us to relate to it and do the same. Uh-huh. So, in actual fact, the great joy that you and I have, because remember, these people had not have, did not have a savior that had come to, to rescue them from sin yet. But yet their joy was heard far away. Today we have, we've just sung about that. And, I've helped us to understand what Jesus has done for us. Imagine how far your joy and my joy should be heard. Quick question is Is your joy even heard in your house? Uh huh. Are the people that are closest to you aware of the joy that you have? Another question is Do you have that joy in your life? I'm not talking about just smiling. This grin that we're forced to sometimes have. Now, I'm talking about an inner joy that is authentic, that is real, and that people can see. And not just physically see, but see in your life. So we have an instance here where people's joy were heard far away because something dramatic changed in their city and in their lives. Now, I'm asking myself the question, does the joy that I have today Is it so authentic that everybody that comes in contact with me can see it, can feel it, can hear it, can experience it? It's a question we ask ourselves. And I pray that the joy upon King City Church will not be a joy that is related to our gatherings on a Sunday. But the joy that we have is a joy that you take with you every single day. I know that there's a couple of young people here this morning that are extremely joyful because they're going to be able to go back to school on Tuesday. And I know <laughs> that that is authentic. It's real. Um, there's a couple of parents that are also joyful because the kids are going to go to yeah, Thank you, Jesus. It's happening again. No, the reality is that the joy that they experienced was absolutely placed and, and, and grounded in what God had done. And so we want to kind of just journey from where they were to where they found themselves a couple of weeks later and see some of the dynamic things that had changed in their lives. The work that God did from there to that side, if I may use it this morning as a picture of analogy, from Victor to Sean. Victor, you've left. Sorry. Sorry. What did I say? <laughs> Somebody stop them! <laughs> no, just from where where the people were to where we find themselves later, we see that there's a progress, there's a journey, and it didn't stop there. By the way, it wasn't the ultimate. The amazing thing about Nehemiah and the book of Nehemiah is this: I love this story, is that Nehemiah is actual, actually the the very final or the last book of the chronological history of the Old Testament. So Nehemiah, according to chronological order, should be the very last book of the Old Testament. The the book that we find today in our Bible as being the last in the Old Testament is is a book by the prophet called Malachi. Now Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah's history. When Nehemiah was around in Jerusalem, Malachi was a prophet that God used to speak to the people. And so you would find quite an incredible synergy between Nehemiah and Malachi, that the things that Malachi talks about in that book, prophetic words and encouraging the people, challenging them, are the things that Nehemiah experienced when he was there at the same time. So why is it that God does such a major work as we've noticed in the very last book of the Old Testament? I believe this. This is just my um, suggestion or my thoughts. And um, please go and study it at your own time and kind of investigate it for yourself too. Because I love history and I love the fact that God does this incredible, significant work just right before the Messiah comes. Now, I know that it wasn't, you know, the next year that He came. But God doesn't give us any other recording event, recorded events of Him speaking to people, but through the book Nehemiah, and Malachi. And so God sets up something, I believe, that will enable the people to return to what was important for them to experience, and that's relationship with God. So that when the Messiah came, they were a people and could be a people dedicated and ready for this visit from heaven that was about to happen. And so an amazing story there was a rebirth of a nation that needed to take place so that the Messiah could come but the people found themselves in great distress and so a building or a wall needed to be rebuilt so that lives could be rebuilt and repaired and so that the people could find their way back to God interesting thing is that in this journey and way before that journey we find that the people the Israelites were in this predicament because of their sin. That's why Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 6 talks about our sin, our father's sin, my sin. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that years before that, God had spoken to the Israelites and said, Guys, you're in sin, and unless you repent, I'm going to actually let you be overtaken taken over by another nation that will rule and govern you. And in actual fact, many of you will be taken away from Judea into exile, into captivity in another nation. We know that that happened. For 70 years, the Israelites were taken captive and they were removed from cities like Jerusalem, province or the area called Judea and, 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 and the areas around where they were taken away. And some remained, but many were taken into captivity. And during Nehemiah's time, we found that a lot of people started returning because God had released them. For 70 years, they were in captivity. An actual fact, they were treated as slaves. And that became their identity. They became known as slaves, they saw themselves as slaves. They may have returned by then. But just the next slide will prove to you just two incidents and two references from the book of Nehemiah where they saw themselves as slaves too. And the proof of that is in chapter 5 and verse 5. Where can I read it to you? Nehemiah, if you're not there yet, it's always good to pick it up. And if you have that fancy device In your hand that you can use to turn um, in and to use for the Bible, for a Bible reference. It's great. Use your phone. Use your tablet. But in chapter 5, we see the story of of the oppression of the poor. And this was a common practice at the time for the Jews, towards the Jews. And Nehemiah 5 verse 5, it says, Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. And so we see that there's a form of discrimination taking place. Even amongst them, them towards each other, they are treating their own people as slaves. It says there, just explain it, forcing our sons and daughters into bondage, into oppression by extracting taxes from them and expecting it from them. We can see another proof in uh, Nehemiah 9 of this. And we don't have time to go into the detail, but Nehemiah 9 verse 36 says, this is the prayer of confession that Israel is praying. That the Jews are praying. And it says here, verse 36, Behold, We are slaves this day. That's what they're praying unto God. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. So where you are does not determine your freedom. Who you are determines your freedom. Okay? Paul was in jail and he was a free man. People could handcuff him and put him in chains, but his spirit was free. So my friend, it doesn't, determine, it doesn't depend on where you live today that, that enable you to be free. It is who you are in Christ that determines your freedom. So here they are, slaves in their own country. And verse 37 says, And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They've been governed by evil kings, but God had set that in place because of their sins. And they rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. So we see just simply that their condition that they found themselves in was due to their sins before God. And they started establishing this mindset that we are slaves. They said it themselves. They confessed it. We are slaves, God. We find that in chapter 4, verse 10, you can turn there if you want to, but just one little word that I want to mention to you. The people are busy rebuilding the the wall and they're getting despondent because of oppression, and not oppression necessarily, but just, um, just people trying to stop it. And, 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 and trying to force them into fear not to rebuild. And one of the things that they notice in that state as slaves is that they say there's, there's so much work to be done and we have started to become being discouraged and despondent because what we find amongst us constantly, what we see, what we're looking at, is rubble. Rubble. We are so aware of this rubble all around us. We're constantly facing it. Yes, we find that this section is being rebuilt and it's new material coming in, but the rubble of the broken wall is still amongst us. And it's becoming huge for them. It's It's a massive battle for them in their minds to consider that something good will come because the rubble around us is so much. And I wonder sometimes, as we see stuff in our lives improve and being repaired, that often we're thankful for that, but we are so conscious of the rubble as well, the stuff from the past. And that our present day and our future is determined by our past, by the rubble we are aware of from yesterday, from last month, from last year, from 10 years ago. And the devil is the one that would want to help us constantly see the rubble in our lives. And unless we break from the past, unless we break from thinking like slaves, and understand that we are sons and daughters of God, and unless our minds start opening itself up to what God has done for us, and who He is, and what we are in Him, instead of looking at the rubble around us, we will be consistently still in chains. And though we live in our own land, as it is, we will be slaves. Because destination and location doesn't determine your freedom, but a person does. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so his people had found themselves, having lived under another nation's rule for 70 years, Seventy years they were governed by somebody else. And that, those 70 years had set something in their minds and in their hearts that this is who we are, I want to suggest to you. I just recently, we had visited friends again in a nation called the Czech Republic. The Czech Republic has a history very similar to this. Where in 1939 they were invaded by Hitler and the German ar- army. And they were taken captive, literally. And, Ge- and Germany had, through very, very um, clever, conniving ways, obtained the right to do that. And the rest of the world said, no, it's fine. He's like, go ahead. You do not want to harm anybody else. We know it's fine. It's OK. So you can go and take Czechoslovakia to yourself. And he did that in 1939 through the Munich Agreement. War came. We know it was a devastating war. It destroyed much of Europe. And then after that, when the Allied armies and the forces sat down together and, and the leaders, then the Czechoslovakia nation was given to the Russians. And they could now control the nation. So still they weren't free. They got freedom, supposedly, through the war, but now they were under the communist rule. In 1968, they tried to do a little thing and try to get free, but then the, the Russian troops came in 20 years after that, after the end of the war, and they just continued to oppress them. In 1989, through a very peaceful motion called the Velvet Revolution, eventually the Czechoslovakian area and nation was, was freed from communist rule and it was then divided into two nations again, into the Czech Republic and Slovakia nation. But this is it. They were under oppression for 50 years. 50 years they were controlled by another ruler, another nation. And as we embark and as we enjoy just times with these friends of ours in this nation, consistently we can hear reports and evidence of how people still live under a a mindset and with a mindset that is that is limiting, that is controlling. That although they in their own nation and they're free, many people are still not free. Because a mindset had ruled the way that they live and they think. And it was very clear for these people too. But this was not the first occasion that had happened to Israel. That although they were free, they were still bound. We know this story so well when Moses hundreds of years earlier, of years earlier, how he was used by God to go and free the nation of Israel from Egypt. Remember the story? Joseph and how he did it and how he, the, the nation was removed or, or moved from, from Canaan into Egypt. And 400 years they lived there and they became slaves to the Egyptians. And that's how they lived. Generations didn't didn't know anything else but slavery. That's how they grew up. Their parents were slaves. They know that at a certain stage of their lives, they too will go and work as slaves for the Egyptians. That was their destiny. They didn't know anything else. And so Moses appears, and he comes with this incredible story that God wants to free us. And it happens through a remarkable event of, of just so many things happening God frees them. And then the first thing that happens, God opens the Red Sea and they part through it and 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 the, and the, and the Egyptians are killed and they drown and, and it's like one miracle after the other. They're in the wilderness on their way to Canaan. But they could not handle the pressure of what they were going through and wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to be slaves again. Because this was so strange and and so new to them that when the going got tough, they wanted to get back. And they would rather go back to the Nyama pots of Egypt than the uncertainties of the desert that lead them to their new Canaan, their promised land. We read about that in Exodus 16 where they had their eyes on Canaan, but their minds were in Egypt. They had been aware of the fact that God had done so many amazing miracles to get them out of Egypt, but they saw these through different lenses, and they were stuck in being slaves. They talked freedom, but they thought slavery. We go back to Jerusalem, we have the Israelites now with a repaired wall, yet they're still living like slaves. They still acknowledge that they're actually slaves. problem is they would become so used to this rubble that their thoughts were full of rubble thoughts. Been so constantly exposed to rubble. That's all they've known. And so when freedom came, they still weren't really free. They had a future in God, but they were limited by their past. Hundreds of years ago, Israelites had a future in God to get to the promised land. They had a future in God, but they were limited by their past. Their past said to them, rather go back to what you know. Although it's slavery, at least we know what we have. We know how each day will pan out. Here we are in the desert. We have no idea how tomorrow will look like. Let's rather go back to what we're comfortable with. And so our present and our future is often hindered by our past. Can I have that char- car seat, please? Over there in the corner, there's a little car seat that somebody thought that um, just a loose thing hanging around you with no purpose at all. But this is a simple, thank you, Sean. This is a simple illustration just to show you how our past can limit us and how we need to break free from certain mindset. Anybody disagree that this is a car seat? You want to ask a question there, Prince? I just saw your hand going up. <laughs> this is a car seat. Many of you did not grow up with this at all. You should have, but in our days, we didn't know about these things. In our days, our cars didn't go that fast. Nowadays, days, people race so much. That's why and people like Kirk and, 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 and the youngsters around you, they have to have car seats. because In our days, we didn't you know, drive that fast with our children. Bad on you that you have to do this. But anyway, this is something that you use at one stage of your life. Yanku, you sat in one of these. Yeah. yeah. Not too many of you in the audience had, had used this before. But this is just simply indicating that at one stage of our lives, we have to use this. By law, you have to. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. By law, you're supposed to have your children in a car seat to make sure that they are, you know, protected in that. But you grow out of these things. You don't. You don't sit in them anymore. Anybody want to come and volunteer? Tamlin, you want to come and try and sit in it? Maybe. I mean, just it'll look so cute. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. We're not going to break it. Okay. You going to try? Oh, that's. Oh, that's sweet. eh? Okay, that's fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> it, it's sweet, but it's not functional. Mm-hmm. You're not going to sit in this for long, hey. And it's actually quite strange. But this is what we do. I think what we, if we can use this as a picture of our past, we, we try to wrap this around our lives. And it looks like a... a um, a rucksack that I'm carrying but um, this reflects my past because somewhere in my life where I had to wear this I had to be clothed with this literally when I was in a car for my own protection but I've grown out of it. It is something that is no longer part of my life in actual fact it looks ridiculous I can't see it but does it look by virtue of your smiles and some you are trying to be nice and kind that no, it's not that bad. I know it looks ridiculous. All right? So walking around with this, and now if I want to go and sit, I obviously have to bear this in mind. I go, okay, I can't really do that. But this is a limiting thing for me. Very restrictive. If any of you disagree that it's restrictive, why don't you come up and I'll throw you with it and put it on you and then you can try and move around. Somebody will somewhere ask me, what's wrong? What? Uh-huh. I wear this after the meeting. I go to spa. People are going to go (laughs) Look at that. That is ridiculous to wear this and go around like this. It's just absolutely unasked for. But yet, this is how we live. This is a reflection of our past. It's something that I used to do and it was possibly right for that time. But it no longer I've got to move on. And maybe some of it was absolutely even unnecessary. I didn't have to do this. But I got involved in something that maybe I chose for or others brought upon me. It's like something was done to me in my past that brought this on me. And now I'm carrying this around. This rubble is who I am. I've taken on an identity of a slave to my past sins and sins that were committed against me, and I'm just living with that for the rest of my life. And the rubble around me, the rubble on my back, is the rubble that I've just accepted will always be part of who I am. We find the Israelites in this predicament here, Victor read it to us. We find them later where they're rejoicing. God had to and constantly needs to break us from our past, because our past often hinders our future and our present. And some of us are sitting here this morning with a past on your back that is crippling you, that's burdening you, and that you constantly look at yourself in the mirror and you think, all I see is my past. I do not even consider my future because my past defines me. And this morning, it is incredibly important that we understand God's heart to free us from our past. Your past is not who you are. It happened. It happened to me. Stuff happens. It happens. It doesn't define who God is either. Because sometimes we say, Well, where was God then? This is the stuff that I'm carrying with me for years. I've been walking with this stuff. And where was God? Why did He allow this to come on me? I didn't ask for it. It was dumped on me. So we can can wrestle with God for the rest of our lives around these, these, these burdens. But somehow we've got to come to a place where we recognize our Savior Jesus Christ who says, I've come to set you free. And when I set you free, you are free indeed. So either we choose or we say, God, I want freedom, or we say, well, it's not that bad. No, it is, my friend. It is. And now we're not trying to condemn anybody. We're not trying to put any, any pressure on you and, and say you're bad. And I'm just trying to express to you and explain to you how God longs for us to be free. Because this is ridiculous. Who wants to live like this? And so, I want to just quickly go through some ways in which we can identify a slavery mindset that could limit us in the way which we live. Just simply a few ones that we're going to look at. The first one is slaves. Can we go to the first one, please? Slaves complain, sons rejoice. The opposite to a slave is a son. And I know that the Bible often just uses the, the masculine way and masculine way to express things, but believe me, it covers everybody. So sons and daughters. Slaves complain. We find it in Numbers 11. I just used Numbers 11, 12, 13, 14 just as an indication to us how the Israelites, when they were in the desert, how they lived as slaves and what their behavioral pattern was. To try to help us understand how a slave looks like. It doesn't just look like this because you think it's funny. But actual fact, it really isn't funny. It really isn't. This is a sad picture. And I want you to try to understand how sad it is that we that we ought to be sons and daughters, but we live like slaves because we're constantly complaining. That's what the Israelites did. And again, if you don't fit into this, praise God, I'm not trying to put it on you. I'm just saying to you, if the this, if this shoe fits, recognize that, you, that you're thinking like a slave, yet you're actually a son. And you're going to let God free you of this rubbish of what you've just become used to. The second thing that slaves do is that slaves are greedy. Man! In Numbers, it's an amazing story. We don't have time. Numbers 11, verses 31 to 35. It's the story of how God brought quails for the Israelites to feed from and to eat. There's this is meat that they got. And so God brought so much quails that they're all around them. The Bible says that it was about a meter high, 0.9 centimeters. It's like 900 centimeters, all right? Almost a meter high of just birds. Imagine that. It's just like birds everywhere. It's like, oh, there's food. We're in this desert. We think like slaves. So oh, we are got to have as much as we possibly can get our hands on. And so they rush around and they collect. They say those that collect the least collected about 2,200 liters of this stuff. Doesn't make sense, eh? It's like just gallons of this stuff. They say that the blood was just coming from their teeth. As they ate this meat. And they just were so ecstatic about having meat. And God said, your greed disappoints me. If you knew me, you didn't have to go and grab that much. You could just say, God, I am a son. I can just have two or three. That's fine. But they grabbed. You go read that. And God brought a plague upon them because of their greed. They didn't understand that, hey, God had given them ample, but they don't have to use all of it. It's like you're going to, hey, stepping on toes possibly, into a function where everything is for free. It's like, man, jeez, I haven't seen those nice drumsticks ever before. (laughs) Or look at the little meatballs. Oh, jeez, look at all the this and the that. I'm going to just i stuff myself here with this stuff, you know. This is just too good, and I live like a slave. I'm telling you. Because we don't think that tomorrow there will be provision. We've got to just everything for today. And my mindset is like that of a slave, not of a son. Not of a son. The third things that slaves do, they're jealous of each other. <laughs> Sons, they celebrate the success of others. Here we have this story of Moses. He's governing and he's leading the people. Two of the people that are closest to him, Aaron and Miriam, his brother and sister, they're like, now who in the world are you to guide us? There could be others, you know. And so they become jealous of him. And they're envious of of what God has called him to. And they don't celebrate the leadership that God has put on this man to guide us. And I'm not just talking about jealous towards leaders. I'm talking about jealousy amongst us. That we see somebody succeeding and being blessed and being happy. And we're like, oh, I mean, why them? Why not me? Why? Why them? Why can't I have that? And in our hearts we don't celebrate what God is doing in people's lives. We're looking at them when we're just constantly envious of what they have and the I don't. And your thinking, is that of a slave, my friend? And not a son and daughter of God that finds joy and happiness in who you are and what God has given you. Another thing that a slave would do is, slaves always see problems, they never see solutions. Can we find that? When the spies go into the, the promised land, Twelve spies go in, two come out with a mindset that says this is possible, we can take these people on. Ten come out with a mindset of slaves that says no, never, this is a massive problem, we look like little grasshoppers in this world, no, it will never work, we are just no one. And your thinking is that of a slave. And when you look at life around you, all you see is just the problems that we're facing. And you never see the solution. You're always just complaining about, oh, this is not going to work. and Oh, that won't be possible. Oh, no, no, don't go there because this is that. And uh, this one after the other, after the other, story after the story, is actually keeping you in bondage. You're living in a free land, but you're in bondage because your mindset is that of a slave. A slave also rebels against authority. Numbers 14. They... they They wanted to have a new leader. So they wanted to throw Moses out. They didn't think that he was good enough because he took them into this new place where God was leading them to, but he didn't do what they wanted him to do. And slaves never, never submit. They're always under this impression that there's got to be somebody better. I've got to listen to this one. Slaves rebel against authority. Sons feel safe under his lordship, where they say, God, you're in control. No matter who the leader is, I know who you are, and that gives me a sense of safety. I hasten to finish. Last one is, slaves live with fear and no identity. Numbers 14, this is where Joshua was crying out and saying, God, please, don't let 10 people determine our future. Because those 10 people lived with fear, and they had no identity. They lived and they thought like slaves. And God is calling us as sons and daughters to be courageous, to know who we are because we know Him. I want to just give you these verses to write down. And I want to ask you to go and study them. Um, just these next ones. So, just simple verses that I would like for you to use as food to, to feed yourself with, to understand that I don't need to live like a, uh, a slave. The first verse is, is Psalm 103, verses 11 to 12. And it's up there. Psalm 103, verse 11 to 12. Just write that down. I'm going to read it through with you. The next verse is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where it says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. 2 Corinthians. The next one is is 1 John 1, verse 9. It says, If you confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from this stuff to break us from the past. And the last one is, it's a beautiful verse, this. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 to 19 says the following, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. So even if you sit here this morning and say, well, this is some of the stuff that I've always grown up with. The way that I think, I always thought like a slave because my forefathers' thoughts, thoughts were always full." With slavery thoughts. Now listen to what the scripture says. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold. But this is how you were ransomed. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We don't have to live with this stuff on us any longer. Because Christ has come to set us free. And i ask you to stand. I want to ask you to open up your heart to what God wants to do. Because I do think that a slavery mindset is not the way that God wants us to live. He wants to set us free, my friend. And if you recognize this morning that in whatever area of your life you are not thinking like a son or a daughter of the Most High, your thoughts about your future, your thoughts about your present day is constantly filled with these concerns that you carry from your past. And the way that you've done things in the past and what people have done to you in the past and the way that you've brought up determines who you are today. God wants to free you of that. He wants to move us from a mindset of slavery to a mindset of a son and a daughter of God that says, I know my father and I know that the thoughts that he has towards me, those are good thoughts, not to harm me, but to give me hope and a future. And this morning if you recognize that you've been thinking like a slave behaving like a slave operating like a slave in whatever way I want you to come to the front we want to pray with you this is a moment where you step out and say I don't want to be a slave anymore we sing that song often I'm no longer in slavery but I am a child of God so why don't you come out right now we're going to open up this front area we're going to pray with people We're going to trust God for breakthrough in your life as you acknowledge and say, no longer do I want to be a slave. I don't want to think like a slave. I don't want to behave like a slave. I don't want to live in a free land, but yet be stuck in bondage. I want to ask you to come to the front right now. Just anybody, Just come. Just come and stand next to each other. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, that you call us out of Egypt, not just to go and wander somewhere in the desert and have no identity, but you call us out of Egypt and you remove Egypt out of us. So often, Father, we're out of Egypt, but Egypt still resides in us. And this morning, Lord, as people come to be free from the Egypt within them that they recognize. I still think and often I even behave like that of a slave who was enslaved in Egypt. But I recognize that Jesus has come to set me free. Freedom. I thank you for freedom. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just close our eyes and forget about around you. Forget about the people in front of you. Forget about the people that have come out I want you to connect with God in your own heart. There are more people who come out, not because I know your situation, but because I know that God wants to touch you. And I don't want you to feel embarrassed, to feel, what do people think of me? I want you to be encouraged to say, God, I am no longer a slave. I'm going to trust you that you will change my mind, the way that I think about myself, that I will see this, this ridiculous thing that I've been carrying on my back, that you've removed it. And this morning, Father, I pray for a release for people too, to recognize they need to be free. Why don't you just let God touch your heart and there's a conviction in your spirit that says hey my son, my daughter I want you to step away from the way that you've thought. I want you to break from the I want you to be removed from the rubble thoughts that you have had about yourself about your future. Come out right now. Why don't you come out friend. This is a moment to you and God God wants to touch you to help you god wants to speak to you so why don't you step out and say jesus this is me i come to you because i need you no longer no longer I, but i am